Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to another episode of the Self Build Plus podcast, where we chat with self-builders, suppliers, and experts about all things home building and renovating in Ireland on both sides of the border. I'm Astrid Matson, your host and the editor of Self Build Magazine. So this evening we're joined by Keith Kelleher of Kelleher and Associates, who's here to talk to us about how to budget for your build. So whether it be a new build or renovation, which we'll get to later, Keith is a longtime magazine contributor and he's been explaining to us how very important it is not to budget per square foot or square meter, but uh, we'll probably have to start with that question, which is kind of, you know, most people would actually like to know if they can actually afford to to build a house. So there, you do need kind of some sort of ballpark to, to see whether this is like a runner even just to, if something you can even consider kind of thing so i mean there was a magic figure back in the day of 100 euro per square foot that's probably a bit optimistic now but uh, what's what's the what's the magic number today tell us keith uh, astrid as you know and welcome everybody um as you as you know um i, I don't believe in magic numbers but um you know it, the sanity of how much something costs and the reality of what something costs very much depends on what actually is on that piece of paper, what design, what the shape of it. Um, anyone who's followed us in terms of all of the articles we've done and we've tried to take that step-by-step -step approach to show why, you know, different layouts, different sizes, different numbers of stories, you know, even the shape of the building um, will all impact on, on, on what that cost is. Um, yes, people do need a guide in terms of how do we start, how do we know how big this is, and that's really what architects and designers will use as as an idea as to see how like you know how many square footage. But you know what is that magic number? Well, if you look at all of the the publicised per square footages that you see on all of the different magazines, from the RAI to to Self Build magazine to to anyone else who who puts these costs per square foot out there they range massively and and like you know they can range you see you still see people telling 
me that they can build for 100 euro a square foot up to people saying they're building for 200 220 the real kind of average if you take average as a thing across the board um, and we have to move into per square meters um, is the two thousand to two and a half thousand per square meter is what's now the average but anything you know and i've seen architects say but if there's any architectural design it might be two thousand eight hundred per square meter etc and it moves so fluidly that you're kind of left kind of you know with that algorithm that you're trying to figure out as to how does this work for me and that's the problem we're trying to break the algorithm just down to simplistic basics of what your design is and getting somebody to just simply cost even at sketch level your house for you to deal with the facts as opposed to the fiction that is you know the algorithm you know so <laughs> So when you when you're talking about these averages, we're talking self builds, is it? Or are you talking about like developers that have economies of scale and that kind of thing? See, in Ireland, all of that average is one figure. So you yeah. have feeding into that narrative on average, you have the developer who's building six hundred units. Um, you know th that figure and the cost that he spends feeds into the one off. You know, it, it, yeah. because it's an average. And, and the big thing about average is if you just if you, if you read the dictionary of what the word average means, how many self builds would fall into that, you know, that that description? Like, how, how can a self build be average? If it was average, in fairness, you probably wouldn't be building it um, because you would just go down to the local developer and you'd buy one of his, you know, 40 houses that he's building in the scheme outside the village. Why would you not? Um, so. So self-build by its very nature will always, you know, aim that little bit higher than, than the average. Um, you're getting a designer to design one house on one specific site with, you know, one specific site characteristics and for what you want, which like sometimes I do laugh when people say, what's the average? But when they, the next part of it is, but I want a two and a half thousand square foot house. So immediately they jump to what they want and the money really doesn't matter because the only reason you'd use per square foot is to try and kind of narrow it down to a size. But most people who self-build will come to you and say, we want a two and a half thousand square foot house. That's their first, the first thing that they say. So really it's gone so far beyond what the average is at that stage that, you know, it doesn't really matter. You know, yeah so. yeah so so what's the process walk us through it so if if let's say i i want to build tomorrow i want a 2500 square foot house yeah. and um you know i'm fairly flexible on design but i want the usual kind of light and you know kind of quite a bit of glazing and uh, you know southern orientation maybe four bedrooms just the, the, the simplistic approach is to get somebody to sketch and it doesn't have to be a bells and whistles drawn, but just get somebody to sketch what the shape of the building is going to be. You know, obviously, if you can go to a quantity of air, they'll ask you questions. You know, are you connected to the public mains for water? Are you going to have a well or are you going to have a septic tank? You know, what's the lie of the land? Have you got a photograph of the site? Or can with you know, the great thing about Google Earth now and Google Images, you can just go and have a look yourself. And we regularly use that just to see, is the site flat? Is it halfway into a mountain? Is it all overgrown? But a sketch, and, and it can be, and regularly it is hand-drawn. Once it's dimensioned, roughly where the walls are, how many doors there is, where the glass will be, um, any quantities of air can take that and actually develop that into a, a cost plan which will be a, a direct and should be a direct measure of your sketch.
Um, so it will build a more kind of specific costing uh, for your specific house. Now there is people out there who do cost plans on a cost per square foot. Please, get, and I say this even when we're doing the self-build show, first thing I always say to people is, if you're gonna go and use a quantity severe, and you don't have to use me, I just want people to use quantity severs all around Ireland, have a look and ask them for a copy of a cost plan that they've done on a previous project. So you get a feel for the level of detail that you're actually gonna get from that person. You do not want a one pager that says two and a half thousand square feet at 130 euro per square foot. That is of no benefit to you. So, um, you know, you should be able to look at that document and actually see from that document, what's my budget for windows? How much have I in that budget for windows? So when you go picking your windows, you automatically know what your budget is. And some people say, oh, well, that's too, it's not enough money or it's too much money. Well, if your bottom line figure is too high and there's not enough money in for your windows, you either have to find more money or you have to get cheaper windows. You can't have everything if you want the bottom line. So it's just like a recipe. And once you have the recipe and you have all the ingredients and the price of every part, you can then kind of decide, well, do we need to rob Peter to pay Paul? Can we pull back on say the semi-solid timber floor so that we can you know, put in the better windows and we can change the floor in 10 years time? You know, Or do we put in a smaller kitchen now or, you know, we don't need five en suites in our bed in in our house at the moment. Do we lock the door on three of them because we only have you know husband and wife? There's no kids. We don't need them all. Lock the door. Don't fit out the 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 en suite, and use that money. You know, front load that money into a better front door, better windows, better insulation, or maybe into your mechanical, electrical, um, and, and things like that. So that's what a cost plan will do for you, and mm. and it should be the starting point for everybody. So in that cost plan, what you, you I presume you'd have you'd make your own assumptions. Like what's what's the standard spec in your book? If someone just comes with kind of a sketch and is is fairly you know ambivalent about what how they're going to build the house, let's say I presume yeah. you would you would imagine that they build with block work. Would it be the Absolutely. cavity wall? Yeah, and then yeah, and then the windows, and then the roof. What would be well, kind of just a yeah. What what I do, now not everybody will do this, but what I do is I have a questionnaire. Um, it's a simple Microsoft Excel document. We ask the questions down one side, we give a number of ranges, and we simply ask our clients to highlight the one that best kind of envisage what they want. So if you say Windows, we'll have UPVC, we'll have timber, we'll have Aluclad, we'll have aluminium, and they just highlight which one they, they see as being what they want. Um, and the same goes for internal doors. Is it a Regency 6 panel? Is it a, you know, is it a joinery made door, pre-finished door? So we do that for everything. But if, if somebody doesn't come back to us with that, we will always envisage that the house is built in block with a cavity. Um, you know, that's just, that's the way. And, and from a cost perspective, to be fair, there's not a big difference between them all, really, in terms of the structure. Um, you know, because the timber frame, yes, it's quicker, but is it cheaper? Well, it's not really cheaper if you then have to come along and put an outside leaf on the building, um, you know, and still have your block work and still have your plaster. So, you know, most systems from a structural perspective do end up somewhere in the same space, but some of them get built substantially quicker than others. And that's really where the technology... Um, you know, is really helping people is more on speed than on money, 
you know. Mm, mm, mm. And then the roof would be a standard roof would be, would it be kind of a one that's made off site and craned in that kind of? Uh, um, more often than not, we measure it. Um, so we'd measure it as if it's cut on site. Um, because okay. again, the cost differential on the roof isn't huge, whether you cut it on site. Um, so we'll measure the timber. Um, generally, you know, a lot of the time we get costs where we get drawings, there's, there's no elevations. There will literally be plans. So we will always assume it's an apex roof, but of course it could be a flat roof. Um, so again, we try and have that conversation again. That's why we, we developed the, the, the questionnaire was to try and cut out a lot of these questions. But, um, but you know, it just depends on the level of detail we have, but we can also, you know, a, a 20 minute zoom call with your clients will answer all the questions that we'd need to do the cost plan anyway. So, Right. Either okay. Way, you know. And then, so once you have your cost plan, I suppose you, you can actually go to your architect then at that stage and be a bit clearer about where you're going or? Yeah, exactly. Well, once you've pulled yourself back up off the floor, generally the next stage is to arrange your meeting <laughs> with your architect. Um, you people faint in you your know. office, do they? Well, there's, I, I, like, I, I would honestly say that 99 out of 100 people get shocked by the cost plan. And that's not just to say that. I'd say at least 99 out of 100 people will kind of say, oh, my God, that's twice what we thought it would be. And the reason for that is because of the perception of cost that's been put out into the marketplace, which, you know, is built on this cost per square foot. But it grows. It has grown from there to like, what is in the cost per square foot. So when somebody says, oh, I built my house for 200,000 euro and then they come to me and they're looking at the house in the next field and they're being told that that costs 200,000 euro. What, what, what costs 200,000 euro? Like where did the cost start and stop? You know, um, when we do a cost plan, we include for everything. So we include the driveway, the garden, you know, the patio, the gate, the entrance pillars, the entrance walls, all of the drainage. We don't envisage our clients finishing the project over five years. So we give them a cost to do everything. So when they see the bottom line figure, you know, they just kind of go, oh, my God, we've 200 grand and you're telling us it's half a million quid. And that's not unusual. So mm -hmm. you then have to enter into, you know, what's more important for you in this house? Because the structure is something you can really only do once. So you kind of what's important and how can you get like, you know, how can you put that five year plan in place that, you know, if you haven't got the money today, that you keep building little pieces of the puzzle and that you end up with the end goal and it's what we call the kind of the design cost pendulum because if you take a pendulum if you go mad with design and you don't think about money you end up like this and if you go mad with money and you don't think of design you end up like this and this is literally the worst case scenario because this is a house that you've spent all the money on and you don't like this is a this house will be for sale in five years type of territory so what you really want to do is balance and getting that balance is important so Having a cost plan with a sketch design allows you to get that balance because you can work on the things that are important to you and you can bring down the things that aren't important or that can be done later on and you can try and rebalance it using fact. And you cannot do that with a cost per square foot. So, you know, so, so that's the next stage. And that can take time. That can, that can kill the project. Like we have had lots of clients who have done the cost plan and moved on and probably bought a house or, you know, they've done something else because it just simply financially was not going to work for them. Um, so that's important 
in the context of getting this done before you go for planning. Because so many people come to me and they have planning for a house they cannot afford to build. And the difficulty of changing that, you know, down the line is huge. So, so doing it right, doing it as early as possible, um, because it's also the cheapest service a quantity surveyor will ever do for you is the cost plan because it's, it's a small enough document. It's produced quite quickly. It's not, it's not an in-depth bill of quantities. Um, so you get the maximum benefit out of this document to put you on the right path going forward, you know, so it, it is important. Hmm. And I suppose, uh, yeah, because if you if you change the house and the layout, then you have to go for planning again. So it kind of defeats Correct. the purpose of yeah. having gone to planning in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Anything external, um, yeah, has to be approved by planners. Yeah. So then, so let's say we have we're okay cost wise. Wait, no, just to go back a little bit there. So is that that's why I presume people um, leave the landscaping to the end. Um, well, it's it's look, we we, so, we wrote about this recently in the magazine. It's it's the yeah. thing that I think it was the last article actually, in, in, or is it in the current? It might be in the current magazine. It's it's coming out, yeah. Oh, it's uh, coming out. So yeah, yeah. So grab a copy. But uh, <laughs> um, it, it it is amazing how often people like build these beautiful houses, and then it literally looks like it's in a building site for ten years, because literally all the money ran out. You yeah. know, and to me. That's either one of two things. It's either bad planning or sacrifice. It's one or the other. Um, you know, so people who either just ran out of money or people who just put everything into the house and just kind of said, we'll do that after. And yet that's the one thing that everybody sees, you know, every day yeah. they drive by your house and it can take away from everything that you have, you know, because every time you drive onto it, it's like the project never ends. So it is important that it's always factored in and that at least if you make that decision that you're making it based on, you know, having all the information available. You also have to be careful it doesn't damage your property. You know, driving in on hardcore and stones and dragging that into, you know, what might be a brand new solid floor, um, the little stones when you get out of the car, dragging them across timber. So again, there, there's a, there can be an element of, of, you know, needing to be careful when it comes to how you do them things, you know? Yeah. And so what is, what, in terms of percentage, would you like, would that represent how much of the, the bottom line usually of landscaping? It, it, for some people, uh, look, a lot of it depends. Like, you know, you will have a house that's right on the roadway, um, you know, and, and you might be keeping the existing ditch that was there on the front or the hedgerow, and you might only be opening up for sight lines and you might only spend, four or five percent of your build and then you have people who the house is 50 meters in off the road you know and they've tarmac driveway lighting Urban. bollards yeah mm. the automatic gates the stone covered entrance and that could be 20 30 percent of their build you know um so the plot the plot really will dictate for everybody what that is um like even putting up a timber fence around a site if that's all you're doing like you're buying say an acre off a farmer out of a bigger field like just even putting up that fence can run to you know again depending on what it is but it could run to five six ten thousand euro very quickly um depending on the length of it and and that for many people could be five percent of their budget alone so the site will dictate very much what it is um but you can look i've seen people spend more outside than in their house um, yeah you know and with granites and patios and um you know mm. 
fences and planting and you know it 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 always amazes me what somebody's willing to spend on a standalone tree or a little plant when that could be you know the cost of your utility room um but, yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah. That's the hence, reality, you know. Yeah, hence needing to to factor it in. I suppose you yeah. do need access. The the main thing is that, yeah. Yeah. Um. So then, so next stage. Then walk us through what the next stages would be. Um. Once you have okay, so there's that that balancing act of getting the design right based on the costs, and we're happy enough that we got that right, and we have somewhere to drive into our house. Uh, so yeah. what's the next phase? Well, the, 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 I suppose the initial step would be you do the cost plan, you go, go back to your designer, you make that work. For some people, that might mean going back for planning. For some people, it might mean going for planning in the first place. Um, or for other people, it might be we already have planning. The figures work. We mess around with the inside in terms of the cost we're going to spend, and then we move on. And the next stage, assuming everybody gets over the hurdle of planning and they get to the next stage, which we'd call a stage two, is is then the tender process. And the tender process is where it really kicks into kind of, you know, detailing everything, like what exactly the finish is going to be on this wall, that wall. So it takes everything that you started out and you had assumed in the initial stage and, you know, puts that onto the drawing by the designer. Um, so, you know, what exactly is in the bathroom? Are you tiling floor to ceiling? You know, are you tiling halfway? Is there paneling in the hallway? you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All those different pieces of the puzzle. Um, a quantity surveyor, if you have one, will then develop what's called a bill of quantities or a schedule of rates. And that document, which is basically a, a, a tabulated version of the drawings, will go out to tender to a number of builders with the drawing pack. And each builder fills in that document. And, and the benefit of that means that you're ensuring that everybody who's pricing the project is pricing on an apples with apples basis. Um, so every item down to like how much is a double socket and I know I always pick on the electrics but it's always the easiest one if you don't know how much a double socket is then you haven't got enough detail in your costs because a builder will very quickly you know be able to profit on the back of the fact that you don't know how much a double socket is and I have yet to work on a building of any type be it private commercial anywhere where additional electrics have not been put into the project um, so, but the bill of quantity schedule of rates that the builder prices will price down to the level of a double socket. There's 76 of them in your house and they'll put a figure against it. And as will every other builder. And you get that information back then as a quantity surveyor and you're able to do that analysis on a line by line basis. So you'll know who the cheapest builder is, but you'll also know that he might have the dearest electrician because you'll have that breakdown. Or he might have priced, let's say there's a granite capping and he might have priced a granite capping at 10,000 euro and five other builders priced it at 3,000 euro. So you're able to kind of pick that out and have that conversation with him to see that has he priced it right? You know, has he got something wrong? So all to provide you with that level of detail. Um, and, and you're able to do that across the board. So, so that's the tender. And then that obviously helps you pick a builder. Yeah, but uh, do, you, do you get enough builders that would actually fill out all that kind of detail? Yeah, like, look, there's in this one or two. Yeah, no, to be honest, most builders in this day and age uh, would probably, like I've probably had more builders refuse to price projects where there wasn't a bill of quantities than I've ever had who have refused to price it because there is one. 
Um, like a bill of quantities or a schedule of rates and the difference between the two would be dependent on what form of contract you're using. Most, most probably self billers probably get a bill of quantities done so that they can break it up into the various different packages. Um, whereas a, a schedule of rates is basically where the quantities aren't part of the contract at the end of the day and it's being done on a drawings and specification um, basis. And again, we wrote an article on that in the Self-Bill magazine not that long ago. So, um, you know, to get into the detail. But like all of the detail that's in there, builders look at that and they kind of say, well, look, if I price this, at least at least I know that I'm being given a fair shot at winning the job because I know that nobody's playing a game. Everybody's pricing like what like. So if I am the most competitive, well, then I should win the job. Um, given that, like, and, and when I speak a builder, I mean like one builder doing the whole job. Um, a builder would probably cost somewhere between 600 to 1,000 euro to price that job for you. That's what it's costing him to get his quantity surveyor to actually price the job. Uh, for you so if you're going to be spending that on one project you want to have the best chance of winning that job so the bill of quantities and, and schedule of rates is the way to go um, more often than not I've had builders say no where a client hasn't done a bill and they've just sent out drones because the cost for them to measure the project is more it might be costing them 1500 euro and they've no guarantee of winning because if they price it properly they might lose because they've priced all of the parts, whereas another builder might leave things out with a hope of getting to the table and just playing the game that builders play. And you know, so it's you know, it it, it should be it should be better for any builder if they have a bill of quantities. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And and would you would you have one as well if you go direct labor? I suppose yeah. it would be handy to have, obviously, as a reference for. Bush. Yeah, it, it also again, it's it gives you that like with like comparisons, you know, because, you know, if you have the quantity of everything measured, so that every person that you're going to be at labor, so if you're going for labor only, let's say carpentry, that you have the quantities of everything that the building requires, so you know you can go to your builders merchants and get the prices. You can shop around because you know exactly what your quantity is, and the same for the labor. So. You know, you might, because again, guys are so busy today, it can be hard to get costs out of them, but they might give you costs per meter for timber or, you know, and you can feed that into your bill of quantities and have everybody on the like with like as to what it will cost you. Um, you know, so, and again, with the likes of electrics, you know exactly what you're getting. You're not just saying to an electrician, here's my drawings. Now you come back and tell me what you think I need because that's nonsense. Like it's your house. 
you tell them what you want, not let them tell you what you need. Um, you know, because four electricians will tell you you need four different quantities. It's guaranteed, you know, so to control that um, is what you're doing. So it doesn't matter whether you're self-building or going to one builder. Control of the data, control that you know exactly what you're getting from everybody is important. Yeah. So then the next phase then we're, once we have, we've figured out who we're hiring, let's say if it's direct labor, we have all our tradesmen lined up, like the block layer and yeah. carpenter, electricians, all that, or you have your main builder, then what's, what's the next phase? Well, the next step then is obviously they need to start working. Um, so, um, you know, you won't, from a QS perspective, there's not a huge amount of quantities of errors in the country that operate let's say from here on for self builders because the cost um for, for providing the service just becomes you know too difficult if you're trying to look after 10 different packages or 15 different packages for clients you basically could be on site every other day um or you know every week um but in in the context of one builder um what a quantity surveyor generally will do is at the end of every month will go to site um, and, and actually work on the value as to what the builder has actually done on site, you know, based on the contract. So based on that original bill of quantities, using that as the basis of valuing what's actually done on site. And, you know, the difference between that will be someone's interpretation that oh, I've done 30 grand's worth of work this month compared to actually walking down through the bill of quantities and saying, no, you've actually done 26,755 euro and 38 cents. And, and, and having that level of detail and, and knowledge and, and security blanket that you're not overpaying a builder. And it's, it's becoming an issue. I've had two builders, two projects that we've worked on this year alone since COVID where the builders have gone into liquidation. So we've had to go and actually have a look. And in both cases, the builders were overpaid. So it is, it is an issue. And it's something that people need to be aware of. Um, you know, if you just interpretation or even and they're not doing it necessarily because they want to get money but if a builder says to you i think i've done 30 grand's worth of work if there's no science behind how he's come up with 30 grand then it could be too high and it could be too low so having that kind of system of just sense checking it um it, it is important well how about the engineer isn't or the person who's meant to that you're hiring to check that the work's being done from a structural point of view aren't they meant to like have an idea that you've reached a certain phase and then they sent their cert to the bank so they can release the money they kind of rely on the builder to tell them don't they? they rely on the builder but they're also relying on 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 kind of percentages of pots so again if i go back to the electrics again just to because as i said it's an easy one if you don't have a bill of quantities the, the likelihood is that the most information that you have is in your project from your builder is electrics 25 grand full stop yeah you might be lucky and they might have broken that down into power lighting they might have broken it down into littler lumps but you'll still have a lump of money so take your engineer your architect because you don't have a quantity surveyor so you don't have any breakdown of that value so they've done the first fix how much of that 25 grand do you pay them for the first fix? Do you pay them the six grand that the builder says that the electrician is charging them for the first fix? That's the problem. Whereas from a QS perspective, what we will have is we will have 
double sockets. We will have spotlights, but we'll also have switches, two-way switches, chrome switches, USB sockets, TV points, alarm systems, CCTV systems, etc., etc. Not all of that will be done in the first fix. So you're able to kind of allocate 30, 40% for wiring of the items that are wired. And therefore, you're able to work out fairly accurately exactly what that cost is. Um, and, and that's the difference. And, and if you put that across every item, you know, like you take external walls, uh, somebody might look at external walls and say, oh, the walls are standing. So that's 100%. But within the external walls is the capping on the parapet for the extension at the back. And that's not done, you know, or, you know, just different items that might be within that. There might be, um, you know, there might be some sort of like coping stones or string courses or something that just someone hasn't thought of or seen because they're not going through a list. They're just external walls. Oh, so the roof is on. They all have to be done. So again, you could quickly overpay. So it's just having that level of detail and that level of data is the difference. <laughs> So then to, time is flying. So, so in terms of um, how not to blow the budget, I guess the first question is what, what are the hidden costs, things that people don't often, we talk about landscaping, that's a big yeah. one, Bush and the others. Um, plumbing is probably the biggest one um, at the moment because it's quite literally turning into what type of car would you like with all the science that goes behind it and the different options and, you know, what ventilation system are you putting in and, you know, air to water, all the different systems, they just make it kind of difficult. And people, they, they, it's probably, there's probably very few people who've actually designed their system pre going to site. They'll have kind of said, ah, oh, we'll have air to water and underfloor heating downstairs or radiators upstairs. And they'll have a broad idea as to what they want, but they won't have actually sat down and designed that system. So generally, you'll find a lot of money spent there. Electrics, as I said, every single project, without fail. People under, they like take a bedroom. A bedroom, and anyone listening, do not put in less than four double sockets in your bedroom. I kind of say now it's four plus the one for the TV, which is five. That should be the minimum. Most people will, on most drawings, you'll find three. So you multiply two extra sockets for every bedroom in your house and multiply that by 70 or 80 euro. That's just one item, you know? So, so spend the time, you know, try and live in your house, try and envisage your house. Um, you know, if a pendant is shown on a drawing and you come, oh, I prefer spotlights, you're replacing one item with four to six. So one item, which was a pendant at 60, 70 euro to now six items at 90. Again, one room, LED lighting. CCTV, intercoms, smart technology is the big thing. You know, people putting in different types of smart systems to turn on the lights, turn off the lights. You can buy plugs that cost 20 quid. You plug them in, buy yourself an Alexa, and Alexa will do it all for you at a fraction of what some of these systems cost. But this is where there's a lot of money spent. The windows, huge money spent on windows. And people, again, you know, can sometimes get shocked at the, mainly in the difference of levels so like you know certain size window they're kind of saying right we'll have pvc or we'll put in timber and then it comes to the back of the house and they've this massive glazed screen 2.7 high full width you can't do that in timber so it has to be done in aluminium suddenly the cost has trebled on that item so um 
tiles, timber floors, like every item in itself has an ability to blow the budget. Like every item. A toilet is a toilet. A toilet with no brand on it is 200 quid. Like, you know, every item like that in your house, um, it can be very quickly money money spent. Um, making sure that you have allowed for a floor finish in every in every room. Lots of people kind of say, oh, they're bedrooms, they'll be carpet, and they, for some reason, carpet isn't seen as a building item, so we don't put it in the budget. Um, you know, a floor is needed, so for every square meter of your house, you should have a square meter of your floor um, w without fail. Where people, I think, where a lot of money gets spent is probably when people actually feel the building, when they've walked into the building, and they start adding in things like coving, paneling, you know, different features like that can very quickly add you know, depending on the size of the property, but it can add substantially to the cost of the property. So, um, again, trying to feel out at the start exactly all of the bits that you're going to put in, uh, it, you know, is it, hugely important. A couple of weeks ago, we had um, a builder's merchant um, from my building supplies.ie here. And um, he was saying, he was talking about the material price increases. Obviously, it's been like he's, he's saying from 15, 10, 15% to 25% on some items. Um, and he's saying that's adding about 12 to 17K on a direct labor self-build, maybe about 30K on a contractor led if and that's excluding windows and doors it's just from his experience pricing projects i suppose so what's is is that relative like is that what you're seeing as well what what kind of what are you seeing in terms of you know all the i mean we we went into it in that that previous yeah. in terms of the dynamics at play but in terms of costs what are you seeing in terms of increases? look like i've seen increases on certain things well in excess of that like we've like normally in any year, you get price increases around January time. Sometimes we get a second batch around August time, uh, which generally kick in kind of between the latter end of the year. And then the January ones generally kick in around Easter time. So they just give a little bit of a heads up. This year, we've already had four and we're in July. Um, items like like even air tightness, air tightness um, materials have gone up 60%. You know, and that's an item that that's a hidden cost because nobody really looks at air tightness and says, oh, that's a big part of my building. Air tightness on a house is now probably six or seven grand of your cost on, on a standard house. Um, you know, whereas before it wasn't even something people really thought about as a, as a you know, as, as a big cost. But it's jumped up hugely. Timber, as well known, has just gone absolutely do lally. Um, like yeah. OSB, OSB board has gone from about 18 quid to up to probably closer to 40. And that's even if you can get the product. OSB board is like is probably one of the scarcest products to buy at the moment. Um, so cost it's like that. It's used for everything, isn't and it, on site? It, it, so. ex exactly. And, and it's just gone absolutely crazy. Um, I was speaking to a builder there a couple of weeks ago, and he, he has priced a project. He's actually won it, and he's contracted. And the project isn't due to start till September. And he's already lost 11 grand on the roof. That's just right. on the roof um, mm. due to timber. So I, I would think in, in an overall house context, um, and again, let's take the average house, in the overall house context, it certainly would add, I would say, you know, it's definitely going to be north of 20,000. And probably, you know, I don't think it would reach 30,000, but it will be in that buffer in terms of the, if you take all of the pieces, because it's, it's impacting electrics in a massive way. Um, because all of the copper and the metal, it's impacting plumbing in a big way. Um, you know, steel has gone 
nearly doubled in price over the last two or three years. And that and there's that's that's going that was going to happen. The steel was going to happen irrespective of COVID, irrespective of anything else. That's been happening nonstop over the last number of years. It's just that now everything else is is following suit. But one of the things that's probably making things cheaper is concrete. Concrete hasn't gone up. So your mm. concrete building is probably now competing better than your timber frame because of the increase in cost in timber. Um, concrete hasn't gone up. All the concrete products are holding steady at their usual 2 to 3%. Um, you know, so, so they're probably doing quite well in terms of probably regaining competitiveness that they had lost um, you know, for, for years. Labor hasn't really gone up at all. Um, and I think it hasn't because I don't think the market can afford it to. Um, I think subcontracting and maybe self-builders might find it more than contractors do. Um, so some of the subcontract trades, because they're so busy, they've been able to bump up their prices. But labor across the market as a whole hasn't increased um, to, to any great extent. Um, so that's probably saving us to a degree because if that starts... But you're you know, saying for, oh, for self-builders, it has gone up, so... Well, it's because, see, the self-builder is going to be dealing with a one-off kind of, yeah. you know, the electrician, whereas the electrician who has a relationship with the builder who gives him work all year round, you know, without that builder, he wouldn't have a business. He's not going to be, you know, bumping prices builder for the builder, for but for but the self-builder. I, I would expect that they would for the self-builder because it's a one-off project. Um, like any self-builder, there's X amount of electricians, let's say, in your area. There's X amount of people that that's an option. Um, and, and I would expect they would be paying more. Yeah, mm. uh, I think it's, it'd be Yay. wrong for me to say otherwise. How yeah. about windows and doors? Uh, the aluminium, to be honest, across the board, the PVC probably not. Um, all the others, uh, we don't see much in the PVC. Uh, timber obviously has jumped up, which means your aluclad has jumped up. Aluminium again, metal are increasing all the time, so um, the aluminium is certainly yeah. uh, been been jumping it up. Is. But the PVC again will. Probably now whether they raise their prices, you know, because they can, because everyone else is. But um, but in the main, we'd see it more price increases in the timber. Well, Aluclad, you can get Aluclad timber with aluminium or PVC with aluminium. Yeah. So yeah, that might kind well, of it's move. it's the it's the timber more at the moment that's killing it than than um than than the yeah. aluminium. You know, yeah. So it's yeah. Yeah, um, and and so in terms of things stabilizing, what do you reckon? Is there there's an a end lot in of, sight? Yeah, there's a lot of talk by the end of the year things should have leveled out. Um, but I think that to me, I think is a little bit pessimistic. I think if it has leveled out by about Easter next year, is probably more realistic. It will level out. Um, it can't keep going like this because what will happen very quickly is nobody will have any work because nobody will be able to afford to buy anything. So it has like the the price increases we're having this year. Like I'm quantity surveying 24 years, I have never seen anything like this. Like in the space of time that we're operating in, um, you know, it, it just it's unheard of. So that can't continue. Um, and there will at some stage be a push for the labour to start increasing, uh, just naturally. Um, and and that can't. And because if that, it'll just the the nobody like quite literally nobody will be able to afford to build anything. So, um, so it will have to level off the timber. Remember, it's usually driven by an issue with, with, with forestry and an yeah. issue with felling licenses. So that's a government, that's something the government can, can sort. Um, you know, we have like Glennon Brothers, who are one of the biggest timber manufacturers in Ireland, are now shipping timber in 
um, you know, from from Scotland um, to manufacture mm. in, in, in their plant in Fermoy and Longford. So, like, that's what we're now doing, which is just ridiculous in a country yeah. that, you know, ha has more than enough trees. So that if that got resolved, the timber issue would resolve quickly. So when you're saying leveling off, do you mean the prices <laughs> stay at these sky high and won't go up any further? Or do you mean it'll come back down to a reasonable level? So, some will level off, um, as in they will stay at the right. Like the, the, the steel, steel isn't coming back down. That's, that's Okay, you steel know, is, we can steel, expect that to yeah, stay. Okay. Steel is dictated to by the Chinese and people like that who use large amounts of it. We don't manufacture steel. So every piece of steel in this country is brought in. So because of that, we're, we're, we're on a global market. So the entire price of steel globally would have to drop and that's not envisaged as happening. Timber is expected to drop and should drop substantially uh, when they sort out the forestry issue. Okay, so that's one that everyone is hoping will happen sooner rather than later. And a lot of the other products are, are items that really were driven up in price because of a demand and a supply issue on the back of COVID and the back of a lot of manufacturing plants having closed and weren't producing products. So that's a supply and demand issue. And again, it will be expected that that will rectify and prices will start coming back down. So we'd expect that the majority of items in the list would actually drop in price. Um, but you are expecting those drops. It's a bit like the government reducing tax on fuel in a budget. Do all the petrol stations reduce the prices the next day? No, so it'll be very much down to the builders, merchants and everybody to pass that on when it does happen. Um, so, you know, we yeah. wait and see. And how yeah. about insulation? What do you think? Will it go back down? I don't think so. Insulation is a difficult one because it's always in demand. There's never, like, it's never not in demand. And again, there's products, like one of the biggest problem, problems with insulation was, and one of the, the cost problems was that about two years ago, a factory in Poland went on fire. And that factory in Poland was the manufacturing plant for the glue that sticks insulation together. And it was one of the only factories that supplied all of the insulation companies. And that factory was never rebuilt. So, um, so you know, so you have these kind of issues going on at supply level for those companies. I don't expect insulation to drop. Um, you know, it's too okay. competitive. And then you've got a very close market, like Ballyterm was sold there recently to Extra Term bought Ballyterm. So we now in effect have two, possibly three players left in the market in Ireland. So it doesn't it doesn't make really, everything else, yeah. It's... Yeah. It it doesn't allow for, you know, disruption, let's say, of the marketplace. Mm mm. And so if you were to build a house, would you build it now or would you wait till uh, Easter? Yeah, I, no, I, I would personally, I would. And I do recommend people to probably start thinking about waiting until the middle of next year. And, and that's for two reasons. One is you've kind of nothing to lose because the way costs are at the minute, it's not envisaged they can get much more expensive. So it'll, it'll, it's their own, it's like for many people, it's unbuildable at can the minute. Can we quote you on that, Keith? Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> you can, but it's, it's getting to that point where like literally people can't afford to build. But the bigger problem is availability of builders, which is driving. So you've had, like I have builders at the minute that are finishing projects that they started in 2019. They are projects that should have been finished in 2020 and they're not because of COVID. So not only that, they've been pricing and winning projects ever since. So there's a lot of builders in certain areas who are actually booked out until well into 2022 or even into 2023. Um, so they are putting prices into the market. Like they're just adding 
20, 30% to prices because they don't want the work. And yet they're still winning it because there's no one else there. So the market is very distorted because of everything that's happened. So I think if you press pause, like I, I, I was a strong believer that the government should have come out and actually stopped accepting commencement notices on projects for six months. And I think it would have done a massive benefit to the industry in the long term because it would have kind of, you know, it would have dealt with supply and demand in a far more efficient way. Um, and, and it would have been beneficial to consumers because they're paying the price for this. They're, like, if you want to build today, you're paying a price because you're going into a marketplace that has more work than they can ever do. You know, and, and if that doesn't level out, then you're going to be paying a premium for your product. Um, certain people self-building will be lucky because they'll be in certain areas which aren't impacted, let's say, who don't have all that work going on, who don't have trades, who are flat to the mat. Like I know ground workers in certain parts of Ireland and they're actually looking for work um, because they don't want to come to Dublin. They don't want to come to, to Leinster. So you could be lucky, but generally, if you could wait until the middle of next year, I think you'll be, you'll be better off. Mm. but yeah there's no guarantee of prices um... i don't have a crystal ball no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no well on that note thanks a million keith as always no problem not at all Cheers. talk to you soon join us next time for more tips and advice from experts and self-builders alike and if you haven't already subscribe to self-build plus it'll give you full access to the selfbuild.ie website including the self-build plus journey which is your step-by-step guide to self-building and home improving. Your membership also gives you first access to all videos and podcasts, as well as access to our members-only Facebook group, which features regular Facebook Live events. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.